welcome to Fashion Hub Singapore, a tool for fashion entrepreneurs in Southeast Asia and beyond. My name is Anissa Johnny. I'm a senior lecturer in fashion marketing and management at Raffles College of Higher Education right here in Singapore. Each episode covers a useful topic for new startups or fashionpreneurs looking to grow or start their fashion brand. Now, full disclosure, I'm speaking today with Graham Kelly, who is my life partner and partner in crime, but he's also an amazing creative director, copywriter, and has had many, many years in the advertising industry. He's won every major creative award you can think of, from One Show Pencils to Clio's to DNAD Awards. I am honored to have him here on the show today. I finally twisted his arm. So welcome, Graham. Thanks for having me and for such a lovely introduction. Been very nice. Please keep up. <laughs> Come on now. <laughs> Always nice to you. So my first question is a little bit nerdy because I'm a lecturer, for those who don't know me, and I love finding out what people studied and how they got into the industry. So what did you study? I studied chemistry at university, University of Edinburgh. And at that point, everyone goes, what? Chemistry? How did you get into advertising? Which I'm sure you will come on to. Um, but while I was a student, I also liked writing. And I wrote for different periodicals and quite strange, well, sounds strange now, like Pravda International. Mm. Um, so I always enjoyed that. And I think that helped determine what I did for my career in so, advertising. So what is Pravda, Pravda International? Pravda was an English language edition of the Pravda, the newspaper of the ex-Soviet Union. Oh my goodness, so you're a communist. <laughs> you were a communist, in case That's anyone's listening. <laughs> Moving on. So can you tell us how you got into advertising? So you told us a little bit there, but a bit more um, from the writing mm-hmm. to advertising. Well, my um, career choice was, you know, first and foremost, can I get a job? Because I did love chemistry. Um, I didn't want to continue it. Um, but if possible, was there a way to do some writing? And then my first job, which was in Holland, was a agency which specializes in B2B, business to business. And their big clients were clients in the chemical industry. So they actually needed a copywriter, that's someone who writes the ads, who understood the science part, but could string sentences together and write brochures and very unglamorous. I didn't start by writing, you know, glamorous TV commercials, far from it. It was brochures for chemical engineers, but it was a start and it was a good start. So that's how I got into that role. So it was using what I learned and what I like to do and combining them. That's amazing. So the chemistry background in terms of studies got you into the first gig and then the rest is history. Exactly. Amazing. Serendipity. So how many years have you been in the industry and what makes you love it? That would be now, it's over 30 years in the industry and many reasons that I've, all, I've been, it, been in it for so long. One is the variation, uh, the variety. I mean, everyone loves variety in their, their job, but advertising really gives you variety because if you're advertising a car, you're going to have to learn about that car. If you're advertising an airline, what are all the minute details you need to learn about what makes a great flight, a hotel, uh, FMCG, a fast-moving consumer good like a soap, there's still things to learn. And your job changes day by day. And that's probably the main reason why I've stayed in the industry so long and kept enjoying it all this time. Wow, that does sound exciting to have something different. It is. I mean, it depends sometimes. 
you'll get a product or a service which isn't that exciting There's certain categories where you think, well, it's going to be more challenging, like, I don't know, selling a mortgage or financial. But even then, there's room to be. In fact, those those are the categories that sometimes it's really great if you do something creative mm. and interesting because it really stands out and it makes the ad more effective. Mm. But generally, yeah, the variety is fantastic. It's a big draw for the for the career that I chose. So following on from that, because some people think certain industries are glamorous and with the whole madman, I've always thought advertising is very glamorous, of course, knowing you. <laughs> um, what's the worst thing, though, about advertising? Um, in terms of the career, it's very long hours. And I know it sounds like a cliche about not being able to switch off, but if you're in the creative side, as in if you're a writer and a rap director or a creative director, you sometimes can't switch off because there's often pressure. So if you've got to come up with a great idea and it's nine o'clock in the evening and you're nowhere near it, you can't just say, well, I'll pack it in. You either keep on working through the night, you get up before sunrise, whatever it takes, but you've got to deliver that idea. That's mm. what you paid for. So the pressure, the pressure is, um, it's, it's not such a huge turn off for me, um, but there are aspects of the career which can be quite challenging. The long hours, I mean, it's a career that um, it's not ideal for things like building a stable, you know, relationship in a lot of ways because you've got <laughs> long hours. But then if you have an understanding partner, then it all goes very well. Like me. <laughs> like, <laughs> no, but the long hours for you, I guess, as you get more senior, maybe it's less. Yeah, but then again, if you really enjoy, again, it's not a cliche. If you if you love what you do, you'll never. It feels like you've never worked a day in your life. Mm. Um, that makes up for it. So that in the career, in the industry itself, there's a lot of things. I mean, it can be awfully, you know, trend. What's the new shiny thing? And there's an awful lot of bandwagon jumping without much thought. Um, maybe more so than other industries. But those would be the two things are... Mm. I would say anything particular. If, if there was something I really hated about it, then I probably wouldn't have lasted so long. True. But there's certainly drawbacks. Those are two of them. Yeah, it sounds like a bit like fashion, actually, always looking for the new thing. So creative industries, I think, isn't it? That could be the, the drawback overall. Okay, so... Moving on from advertising, thanks so much for giving us an insight into your industry. But what are the mistakes fashion brands make specifically when it comes to advertising? Fashion brands. One of the mistakes I would say is there's an over-reliance on celebrity advertising. And there's a role for celebrity advertising for sure. But oftentimes... There's a, there's a lot of drawbacks that brands don't consider. And one of the biggest drawbacks is, is the money. Um, if, you th if you have a very expensive celebrity, a big portion of the brand's marketing budget goes in that celebrity's pocket. Now, if you're shooting a, a glossy uh, spread or a TV ad, you've got less on the ad, you've got less money to make the TV spot look great, less money on production. And it shows, I mean, I, when I, I lived and worked in Japan, Japan's famous for being celebrity-driven, especially for fashion. And you'll see a lot of the ads, and it's like, okay, the celebrity, know that, but they don't even look that great. And it's because it was less money spent. The other drawback of, the, of, of fashion advertising relies on celebrities. Well, people often remember the celebrity rather 
than the brand, the jeans. What jeans was it? I can't remember. What was the shoes? I remember the celebrity. That's not to say you shouldn't use celebrities, but you should be careful how you use them. They're not a panacea. You know, oftentimes people, if they're doing a fashion brand, say, okay, you know, celebrities are the, the, the answer now. What's the question? It, it's not right for everything. And obviously, if you're starting a fashion brand, you've got no money for a celebrity anyway. Mm. Um, so I would say that's one big drawback of it, this over-reliance on, on celebrities is something that a lot of, and not every fashion brand does it. You'll see that some brands don't use celebrities at all and still do great ads. Um, if the celebrity matches your brand, if they share the same values, that obviously makes sense because consumers are cynical. Oftentimes think, oh, they the celebrities there advertising those jeans or those shoes because they've been paid a shed load of money. But if there's a relationship, if this is a sustainable brand and that celebrity is known for their, you know, interest or support or sustainability, that's a good match. Mm. That makes more sense. But if you've got a sustainability message and it's a celebrity who lives a high life and jets all over the world, kind of doesn't make much sense, does it? It's almost a disconnect. So that would be the main thing I would I would work on if I was building a fashion brand or already working on one. Do you really need that celebrity? Does it work as well without it? If it does, you might not you might want to not use it. I like what what you said about asking the right question after. I mean, fashion brands ask the question afterwards. So fashion is quite famous for not um, using traditional sort of ad agencies, right? We're more Mm -hmm. sort of image-driven. We don't think we need an idea. Um, Can you tell us more about ideas and advertising? Yeah, well, an idea can be distinctive and memorable, and it can add that extra element that really helps sales because people remember ideas. You know, people remember provocative ideas more than they just remember a style of photography. And it's difficult. I mean, it is difficult to do an idea-driven advertisement for fashion because oftentimes there isn't something innovative. Um, if you do have, I mean, there could a lot of the time it's easier if there's a feature like a special new material that keeps you cool or another innovation, but you don't really see that as much in fashion. Mm. Um, when I was I was lucky in that I worked with one agency. It was BBH, and the main one big client is Levi's, and that was ideas driven. I mean, you had all these great ads from the UK, um, you know, the famous ones that really built the brand, and it was ideas in those. But generally, because the industry doesn't really put that much store in ideas, it's difficult to even get the brands to buy an idea. But the thing about an idea is it can still be a great ad without a lot of money because an idea will shine through. Whereas if you've got no idea, then you rely on execution, you know, how impressive the photography is or how much money you spent on the post-production. With an idea, you don't need that to be distinctive. Mm. You don't need that to be memorable. People talk about ideas. They don't. No one looks at an ad for a fashion brand and will go into their pal and say, hey, "Did you see that ad? The, the cinematography was amazing." You know, normal people <laughs> they don't talk that way, but they'll talk about the idea they saw and what made it memorable. And that's why they're so important for any form of advertising, particularly fashion advertising, because there's not much of it that's ideas driven. So if you can do that, your your fashion brand will stand out. Mm. And that makes me recall, actually, it's funny you said that. Nick Kamen, 
for Levi's, mm. where he takes off his jean in the laundry. I'll never forget that as long as I live. That was, what, 30-odd years yeah. ago. So you're right, the power of an idea. And there was another great, another Levi's one was the, the classic one they did, and it was um, the whole idea was about uh, the small pocket. What's the small pocket above the pocket? And, you know, it was meant to be for your chains, but it's a funny little ad and someone's put, put a condom in there. Mm. And the line at the end was, you know, misused since 1883. And just that little detail about the misused pocket. But it allows you to tell a story about the engineering, how well it was made, how thoughtful mm. it was. You know, that's that, that ad, that idea is much more powerful than just saying, our Levi's have got a, a nice little pocket. They could have left it at that, but they built a whole story about this this guy who's got the condom tucked in there, and that's the difference a big idea can make. Mm. What if you're a small fashion brand? I know we're talking about big ideas, big brands. What if you're a small fashion brand? Um, can you give us some advice? Imagine you're just starting out. What are the three must-dos? Um, for the brand, for mm. the marketing, or for, for everything? For launching the brand. So the Launching a brand, I think... Yeah, well, if you're talking about advertising, I mean, again, most people come at it as, okay, I'm going to run ads on Facebook or Instagram. That's not wrong, but it's not the only answer. Consider all your options. Um, there's a there's a big realisation that if you put all your eggs in the Facebook, Instagram basket, you could have a problem. This happened with what they call DTC brands, direct-to-consumer fashion brands. Facebook owns the channel. They own the ad platform. They can put their prices up, which they do constantly. What do you do if you don't have a big budget? Can you afford a lot of small brands are having to maybe even do less advertising, which can kill them before they get started? So think, use Facebook, but what other channels could you use? Uh, one of my favorites is very underused. It's starting to be, I think, a bit used a bit better is email marketing. The beauty of that is, you have a direct relationship with your consumer. There's no one gets in the way, whether that's Google, Facebook, whatever platform, they own a platform with email marketing. Once you've got the address, you own that relationship. And that's a big lesson brands can le learn to their cost if they don't have that. If you rely totally on someone else or someone else's platform, they make the rules. So get a relationship with your customer. Try and make that relationship strong using uh, email marketing, learn as much as you can. I mean, that's a very nuts and bolts. But on a broader level, you know, think about how many fashion brands there are out there that are indistinguishable, their wallpaper. And I'm not just talking about the, the, the clothes or the shoes designs, because that's a given. You know, you want to be distinctive, stand out. But what about your ads? Do your ads all look the same? Do you use the same color palette? Do you want to look like an Instagram ad? Fine. Then you will just look like every other Instagram fashion ad. You'll be wallpaper. You'll be you'll be not noticed. You won't stand out. You won't be memorable. So think about all these things, and think about how people look at ads, because people don't look at ads the way that most brands and most clients, especially people who are just building a brand, they think the world revolves around their ad. Think the thing that people would love to see when they look through their phone as their ad, and they don't care. They don't care about your brand. They don't care about your ad. A great creative will help make them care. But even then, just a little. Um, that's the reality. Watch someone, a great tip, watch someone without being too nosy. Look at them when they're on their phone. They're scrolling, they're scrolling, and they stop on an ad. It's for a fraction of a second. That's all you've got. 
And people forget that, and you forget that at your cost. So that's a long-winded way of saying keep your brand uh, strategy and keep your advertising simple. That's probably the biggest thing about strong, simple ideas that stand out. Because if you don't, your ads won't stand out. Just and if you you know if you want to see it in action next time, look at someone on their phone or in the old days we'd look at someone on a newspaper and they flip and they flip because you haven't bought that newspaper for the ads in it, and they haven't got on Facebook to look at your ad. You've gone on Facebook for so many other reasons, and none of them have to do with your brand or your ad. Mm-hmm. It's very difficult, very challenging. So just be aware of the realities of it, and don't disappear into a strange little world where you think the whole world's waiting for your ad and your latest fashion brand. They don't care. Mm-hmm. So it sounds like do less well. Also own your email, your database. Email marketing is the way forward. All right. Yeah, and try things. You know, the, the great thing about digital marketing especially is you can experiment. When you're on your Facebook advertising, don't just rely on one headline, one visual. Try, you know, you can test. You can, and the great thing about digital marketing is you can measure it. Did that headline with that image of your of your new trousers or your new shoes, did that work better than another colour? These things you can test much more than you could in the past with traditional advertising. So you can get these great learnings and you can improve your advertising and that will ultimately improve your marketing, the return on your advertising investment. Mm. Um, and then how does advertising really work? Is it about brand awareness or really growing customer base? Um, well, that's more on a strategy, but how advertising works is it's a combination. It's a combination of the rational and the emotional. And depends on the brand, then there's a mix of one and the other. So, for example, Coca-Cola, there's not much you can say about that. It's a fizzy drink that uh, helps quench your thirst versus a brand new smartphone with all these amazing features you want to tell. The brand of FMCGs generally, it's more about emotion, you know, whether it's, uh, you know, in the old days, it'd be very stereotypical. If it was a washing powder, it'd be, you know, mums using a washing machine or using doing the dishes with this great liquid that keeps her hands soft. Now, thankfully, we've moved beyond that much more so, but that was more emotional, you know, the, whereas for something which is more rational and I want a justification, then I might have to talk about you know, the features of the smartphone. Even Apple, everyone talks about Apple as being a great advertiser. And you'll see they use emotion and they'll use uh, rationality. They'll talk about the features, you know, talk about the great camera, but they'll also do quite emotional ads. Look at the picture that you can capture. Look at these amazing moments in your life that you can capture with nothing else. Nothing else does it as well as an Apple. Because you've got to justify it. Because you're talking about something that costs over a thousand dollars. So you've got to work that out. How, what, what are you going for? Is it more emotion, more rationality? And then how advertising works? Well, it doesn't work once. That's, you know, rather it doesn't just take one ad running and then you've made a sale. Again, if you're a listener and you want to prove this, I don't have to give you any facts and figures. Just think about your own situation. Think about the next ad that you see, even a good ad. Did you whip out your wallet, your credit card and buy? You didn't. You went, oh, that's a good ad. You might have seen it on YouTube and that interested you and then you forgot about it. And then you saw it when you searched and that ad came up for a similar product or your product that you're advertising. Great, I'm going to find out more. Something attracted your attention. You've got to do something at work. You forgot about it. So that's what we talk about when we say, what's the consumer journey? It's horrible jargon. I don't like it. But 
that's a pathway. You have to think about where you can reach people, what they call touch points. You know, where does it make sense to reach them? And, it, and there's an old saying, repetition is reputation. And it's true. That's how brands are built. You know, you can't just run your ad once and expect your orders to flood. And it's an investment. Branding is a long-term investment. And that's how it works. There's, there's a rule of thumb. It's called lo the long and the short of it. It's two uh, very gifted people in the ad industry have done a paper and they've, they've, you know, they've done a book as well. And they've, they work out that you can divide advertising into two aspects. You've got um, brand advertising and you've got what you can call response-driven or activation advertising. And you've got to do both. Right? If you do lots of brand advertising but don't tell people you've got a new product on sale or where to get it, there's no activation, you won't sell as much. Conversely, if you haven't established a strong brand and you say, you know, our, our uh, new handbag is now 30% off, why do I even want that? Handbag, mm. it's cheaper. I don't know if it's a good brand that I respect. I don't know if it's got good quality. So you need both. They say as a rule of thumb, it's 60-40. Branding versus activation. But that's not something you need to stick to. But my, the, the main point of this is think about both. Branding with activation is not going to work well. Activation without branding is not going to work well. So think about both. You've got to establish a brand over the long term. And in short-term spikes in demand you can generate by activation. That can be an offer. That can be a new product line. Something that uh, goes beyond the brand and gets people more interested in buying your product. So, And brand comes first before activation? Well, it has to. You have to establish a brand. But at the same time, you're going to, you, want to, you want to generate sales. There's no mm. point in doing a lovely brand ad that doesn't help sell your product. They've got to be running in parallel. Got it. Great. Um, so we could talk about this um, all part of this podcast, which gives me another idea. Maybe you should come back and talk to us about copywriting. What's the secret to good copywriting? Um, I would say that, well, again, I don't want to oversimplify it. There's not one answer, but a really important one is to get out of your own mindset and you've got to put yourself in the mindset of your audience. My example before, if you're selling cars, not just a car, what car? Is it a luxury car? Is it a low-end car? Is it a family saloon car? Same with fashion brands. Who's your audience? And get that really clear in your mind before you start writing. You know, if you're writing and you're trying to sell a item, you know, fashion item to a millennial versus a 50-something, it's a different language you would even use. You know, you might use slang. You might have a more... Uh, if it's a luxury brand, then you don't want to be too informal. You know, so you've, you've got to work out who you're talking to. And like I said before, keep it keep it simple. There's no such thing as long or short copy, by the way. By simple, I don't mean it has to be short copy. Um, in fact, most research, including research from Facebook, has found, and the, the ad industry has known this for years, that longer copy for most categories will actually perform better than short the reason for that is generally, if you're interested in a product, especially a high-end luxury brand, not talking about, you know, a $10 T-shirt, but imagine a high-end handbag of yours, you want to know more about it because you could be spending thousands. So the co this, that, that's two aspects of the, of the copy is it's got to be simple and it's got to be answering the one question 
that your audience asks above else, which is what's in it for me? Is it going to make me look better? Am I going to feel more confident? Right? Is it going to enhance my status? Without being so, you know, you don't want to use this. You want to use that word like it will enhance your status. But you can use language in a way which will signal that. But always, what's in it, it's not about the product as such. It's about sell benefits, don't sell features. Okay. Okay. That's a few secrets, not just one. Many, many, many. So you kind of told us this already, but I mean, maybe we could just um, short, uh, get to, how do, we, how do I put it? Coming up with an idea for a campaign. What's the short way? Three things. <laughs> well, unfortunately, there isn't really a short way. There's a, there's a methodology you can use. Mm. And sometimes if you're lucky, you'll get to the right answer sooner. Um, but generally, we, we always... We have this saying in, in, in agencies, uh, well, not all agencies, but we used to, when I was at Satchi, there was a saying that we'd love to use, which is cover the wall with ideas. Mm-hmm. Cover the wall with ideas because if you do that, you'll explode all the angles and you'll be able to see right away what's better and what's less good and discard the less good and enhance the better till it becomes great. But there's no real shortcut. You can, you can save yourself time, above all, by having a really well-written, simple brief. So the brief is a document that sets out who am I talking to, what is the product I'm selling, who are the competitors, what are the key messages this product should be conveying, and in any other mandatories about your brand. But that brief is the starting point for doing great advertising. The better the brief, the faster you'll get to the solution. So have a great brief and uh, cover the wall. And yeah, that's those, those are two, not shortcuts, but those are two methods that, that I always use. And then how do you choose the best idea if you cover the wall? Uh, it's really simple because you can see, like for example, is a campaignable idea. Can you take a core idea and take it three or four different ways? Mm. Or is it a one-off? If it's a one-off, it doesn't mean it's bad, but it's, it's not got... The legs, we call it, it's not going to be as long running. So look for a campaignable idea um, versus a one-off. But you can always tell, I mean, is it is it great because is it different? Is it thought-provoking? Is it intelligent? Is it memorable? Is it simple? You know, and above all, is it simple? Do people understand it? Another tip to understanding is it a great idea is, is ask someone who's totally unconnected with, your this particular project so in, in the agency you know i would go and ask someone who doesn't even know the project or the brand very well not to ask them is it a great idea but just it, it, do you get it because often if you're spending too long on the ideas you can get what we call too close to it and you think it's great but no one else gets it it's not simple anymore it's too convoluted people are not going to understand it fast enough so you've got to step back Again, remembering what I said about how people look at your ad on their mobile phone or on their laptop. They've got, if they're on YouTube, you've got that skip ad button, which almost everyone uses. Mm. Those are all the things. Watch people do that and then think, is my ad going to get skipped like that? What's going to stop it getting skipped? Does it communicate quickly? Does it communicate benefits? Does it answer that question? What's in it for me? Yeah, good reminder, creative brief, <laughs> pausing, thinking about your brand, something even I forget. 
Um, Graham, I could talk to you for hours because we do talk to each other for hours, um, but we're running out of time. So thank you so much for sharing your um, advice today and your knowledge. You're clearly extremely knowledgeable. Anybody who wants to find out more about what Graham does, and it's Graham Kelly, um, that's Graham with an H, uh, you can go to www.originate.mobi. That's www.origin for November, A for America, T-E dot Mobi with an I at the end. So you can find out more about what Graham does and he still is taking on clients, still taking on clients. <laughs> yes, of course. Interested in fashion? Absolutely. Graham, thank you so much. You're welcome. Thanks for having me. 